The Oscar goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar Race Update. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. A day later than we said we would, but here we are. Happy Thanksgiving. we got an Oscar Race Checkpoint episode for you on your turkey day. I uh, hope you all are, are overstuffed and carbo-loaded like you're going on a marathon tomorrow, and hopefully that marathon is directly to the couch to watch some football. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Mike, what's the best side dish for Thanksgiving? For me, it's stuffing. Yeah, that's the correct answer. Always stuffing, and forever be <laughs> stuffing. And the carbs that I'm most looking forward to eating tomorrow mm. are stuffing. We're recording this a day before right. Thanksgiving, and stuffing is yeah. my answer. I, I want to get, like, I, I proposed this to my mother, who does the cooking, too. I was like, let's just, the turkey, no, we, like, just skip it. Just make the sandwiches. The only part I care about Thanksgiving is the stuffing with the turkey in there and the cranberry sauce yeah. and the hard roll. Just make those for Thanksgiving. That's the best part. And then you make them the next day with right. the leftovers exactly. of those. Yeah. Turkey is dry as shit. Is there's a reason we only eat it once a year, right? Uh, who needs it once a year? I eat it all the time, especially with the diet. Well, like deli meat turkey is de- okay. but I'm talking like actual like still I eat a lot. Yeah, dude, all right. I, I think it's so no. dry. I, I if it's not dark meat. GTFO, that's what I say. That's the Mike One promise, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, let's get to a quick scheduling update because, Mike, we have the Gotham Awards on December 2nd. We have the European Film Awards on the 7th. Golden Globes, those nominations come out on the 9th, and I'm going to mispronounce Golden Globes a million times this (laughs) award season because I always do. The following weekend, we get the Best International Film shortlist on the 16th. So what we're going to try to do here is we're going to to attempt to start to push these two news shows to the opposite sides of the week. Mm. We're going to attempt to get MMOW towards the end of the week yeah. and then push it more towards like a Thursday-Friday thing. Yeah. And we're going to attempt to get Oscar Race Checkpoint more to a Monday-Tuesday thing because we want to report on all these awards. Right, right. It's, it's going to be, instead of reviewing the, you know, if an award show happens on a Sunday, instead of reviewing it during MMO Weekly, uh, which had been kind of clunky for us in the past and trying to fit the format and whatever, yes. uh, we're going to do it just on Oscar Race Checkpoint where we're kind of more of a free-flowing conversation about all things award season. And by the way, that's what Oscar Race Checkpoint is and that's where you are today with this Oscar Race Checkpoint episode. It's all things award season and Oscars based. And like Mike just alluded to, because it's getting towards the end of the year, we're going to have new news about such things pretty much on a weekly basis. Uh, every episode will be chock full of them, and we're going to kind of uh, start with that today, right? Yeah, the Hollywood Critics Association sent out their nominees, Mike. I got some stats coming up, but you got some major takeaways. Yeah, this is formerly the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. They've mm-hmm. renamed themselves the Hollywood Critics Association, and uh, they, they have pretty much the major categories, at least that the Oscars have, and just some highlights for me. Uh, Leo is the Best Actor nom. Aquafina makes the field for Best Actress nom, Lead Actress nom, Booksmart in there for Best Feature Film. Eddie Murphy's in there. Lupita Nyong'o. Taron Egerton, they all make their major category nominations for this award show. Uh, some notable omissions. Endgame, out on Best Picture. Mm. De Niro and Price are both out on Best Actress. Wow. Cynthia Erivo is out on the Best Actress field. Uh, just some crossover. We talked last episode about the Indie Film Spirit nominations. Sure. Taylor Russell was the lone nominee from Waves in the Supporting Actress category. She lands nomination again here with a critics group for Supporting Actress actress and waves as a matter of fact makes the best picture field here as well so more love from waves with this critics group than there was with the indie spirit films which i thought was a little unique uh 
Interesting tidbit to me, because, you know, I can't go a couple sentences without talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Margot Robbie makes the feel for supporting actress here for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We had heard buzz and love and everything about how she owns the screen in Bombshell. She doesn't make the feel for Bombshell. I think people might be underrating just how impactful... That Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to weigh in the minds of critics and people in the Hollywood industry. So to me, the film festival darlings, the earlier releases are heavily considered at this particular mm-hmm. show. And some of the late breakers are in and some of the late breakers yep. are notably out. And, and the big one here is Bombshell to me in, yep. in a way. Uh, it's not considered as heavily. I think in the past we've had uh, other late breakers, you know, and looking over those nominees, they're not in here and they do show up on Oscar Sunday. True. So, yeah, the farewell is all over it. Booksmart's all over the show. And we have, you know, us and Taron Egerton. They're all, they're all over the show. I'm going to get into my stats in a minute, but you have the final tally. So, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again, be on the lookout for that. If nothing else, that thing may just weigh inoffensive enough, which is wholly ironic for a Tarantino (laughs) movie, but it may weigh in as inoffensive enough to be a lot of people's numbers two and threes in various categories, where they end up getting a shitload of nominations. That happened with this critics group. I think it's undeniable. I do, too. Can we talk about it that way, too? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a monster. It's such a well-made film. The Irishman is probably an an undeniable I just think it's so weird that if you're going to pick a Margot Robbie performance, you're going to go with this. I mean, to me, that just speaks about the quality of the impact of the Hollywood film more so than it does, I mean, the, the performance in Bombshell, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does lead the pack with nominations in this critic society. It landed 11. The Irishman and Waves actually come in second place. I can't read my own typing because I'm blind. They had nine each. The Farewell and Joker come in third place. They share seven nominations each, again with Aquafina making the field here, even though she didn't in the Indie Spirit noms. Marriage Story, all the way down at six noms for this. That was kind of shocking to me. I think they got the, the right six noms, though. I mm-hmm. mean, they got some quality agree. nominations. The, the Joker nominations are, are important as well. We're going to end up with that as a Best Picture nominee, man. That also has, you know, technical prowess. Yes. And there's more opportunities at the Oscars than in this award show. So that might be a ten-nomination film or whatever. It's eight, eight yep. nine. It's going to get more nominations, I would think, at the Oscars. The Farewell was also surprised because it didn't do well at the Indies. Yeah, I was shocked to see that. And maybe, you know, there there was a push, and I saw certain people on film Twitter criticizing these noms for maybe being too worried about being out there first, so they may not necessarily be very reflective or representative about what the field will settle at at the end of the day. Right. Now, they technically share 15 categories with the Oscars. Mm-hmm. You have some tidbits in a second, yep. but it's deceiving because of your tidbits, because there's all these other categories right. that dilute some of the major categories included in that 15. Sure, sure. Um, I, I They do something... I don't know what this is and how to approach it. I At first I just thought, oh, that's really unique. And then thinking about it, I was like, I think that's really stupid. Is that they have a male director category and a female director category. And my first blush reading that without giving it much critical thought was, I guess that could be very progressive. And now I'm more on the side of, I think that's very regressive to have those two separate categories. Yeah, just vote females into the... Right, just why can't a female be the best director above a like that doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. At the same time, we've we've made the case against the systematic you know oppression of female directors. Yeah, in, in a business, way, so. it's it does give an easy spotlight to female directors where you may not otherwise do it. But my think about it was 
this is no different than quota filling. But here's the thing, like, how seriously do future award shows, if you're coming out first, how seriously do future award shows take your best female director category if the top four, you know, pundits approved nominations in everybody's minds are male directors or yeah. the top five or whatever. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to nominate somebody here and they're going to get this huge boost. Right. That's that's another good point, you, too. You would yeah, make you, a name for them if you had one category yeah. and that's where they got nominated. It's a great point. And, and it goes back to the systemic thing. If the top four picks are males, then guess what? That's a studio problem. Right. And that's where it all starts. And that's what we keep yelling about on this show, how the studios need to give females these opportunities. So I, I've, I've landed that I really, truly dislike because it feels like quota filling. And anytime you have quota filling to me, I think it's a bad, bad thing. So so how about the more traditional, you know, diluting categories like you have basically a young actor and a young actress category? 23 and younger category, which it's like the best performance by an actor 23 and under. And Caitlin Dever of Booksmart. Julia Butters, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Noah, Noah Juppé from Honey Boy, Roman Griffin Davis and Thomas and Harcourt McKenzie from Jojo Rabbit. That cool could category. be a best actor category this year. <laughs> it's very cool. And <laughs> again, it probably doesn't make a name for them or give them a boost right. because it's it's here and not there. Right. And everybody's going to consider that, all right, we're going to give the, the young actor and young actress awards to these kids. And we're not going to really consider them for the major categories right. at the end of the day. This is a particularly... Loaded year. Loaded year. For least, for child actors especially, right. yeah. I mean, Roman Griffin Davis could stand. There's been a push for get him in the best actor category I've seen. Another weird or different category that they have is for VFX performance. And I thought that was fascinating because they have the best VFX as well. Do you think there's like this push between the guilds and certain critic members to, to just be different enough from the Oscars for those reasons? Because we just talked about the makeup and hairstyling guild, how it was like, like best VFX makeup. And right. we're like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think this is them saying, trying to be different. Right. But at the same time, now you have basically a 10... Nom VFX field, or I, mm -hmm. I didn't do the you know crossover. Maybe there's a few that are in both, but uh, you have more listed here. And again, I don't know if it's gonna well if it's the gonna jive at the yeah, end. Yeah, if the idea is to give more films a spotlight. I think that's different than like highlighting and differentiating by gender. You know what I mean? I sorry, I don't. I'm less. I think that's okay. And they also do it by genre because right. there are seven best picture categories, including, of course, best picture. Then you have best first feature, best blockbuster, best independent film, and then comedy or musical, sci-fi or horror, horror, and then action film. So you got seven of those. So you are bringing attention to a bunch of films. Yeah, that's what the point of these critics society awards should be at the end of the day. All right, here are the stats. Yeah, okay, they've been doing this for three years. This is mm -hmm. the third LA OFCS or Hollywood just rolls off the tongue. Critics <laughs> Association <laughs> Society Awards. I, I put too many words in that one, <laughs> but all right, we have seven winners in common each year. Okay, uh, the the second year we had three of the acting categories in common with Mahershala Ali, King, and Malik. They got six of the eight Best Picture noms last year. The Hate You Give won their Best Picture. So now you're recalling this award show? Yes, I am. Yeah, happened? yeah, yeah. And I remember we were very happy about that. Of the 15 shared categories at last year's LAOFCS, we had 51 of the Oscar noms in those shared categories. Again, so 51 of the 78 total noms. That's a very high percentage. I and mean, that's a good job by this, so yeah. predicting, yeah. 
And the category they got totally right was just best animated feature. That makes sense in that animated feature was kind of a layup last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, we everyone had that pegged, I think, since October. Once they saw Spider-Man, they were like, oh, this is going to win. Mirai broke the latest, but right, still, it right. was getting a lot yeah. of uh, love. Everyone assumed the second Ralph would be in there, yeah. So let's go back one year sooner than that. The first annual show, again, had seven winners in common, including The Shape of Water for Best Picture. <laughs> 47 of the 80, because there were two more Best Picture nominees, right? Gotcha. 47 of the 80 total noms were in common with the Oscars. Okay. Though this show had one more Best Picture nom than the Oscars, so it's really 47 of 79. So it's roughly, I mean, as far as crossover categories with the Oscars go, it's batting about 60%. Right, and they got three categories totally right. So the categories they got totally right... You had cinematography, mm-hmm. which had the runaway Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. You had original screenplay and adapted screenplay, uh, which I was surprised about because that was not something anybody no, gets. No, no, screenplay has been up in the air and, and batted around for the last couple of years. So again, anytime you have a critic society that shares so much of an overlap, sixty percent is notable. What I'm saying is this is an interesting first glance yes. at a total all-consuming Oh, you have it, 62%. Show. I didn't even see that at the end. 62% yeah. Oscar commonality based on my statistics, 98 out of 158 quote-unquote shared nominees, yeah. even though some of the categories are diluted by having other categories. Right. So is it going to be an equal representation? Is it going to be exactly what to expect Oscar Sunday? No, but it's the first award show, and they bat 60%. That's pretty good. Check out those numbers, yeah. because now we got a 60%. Maybe, you know, we get the kind of same movies involved so that's fun to see wild that mm-hmm. things would be independent films would be more represented here than in some the indie spirit awards like aquafina making the field here and not when, when she has to go against the blockbusters that's crazy to me. la's an f- indie film loving town to it's a real. fickle business michael so is new york i mean the, the two <laughs> coasts get to see those movies the most right so I'm, I'm i'm in for it mike graham norton is going to host the 2020 bafta awards okay that's right? my take. <laughs> I'm only familiar with Graham Norton from watching interviews online from promotional yeah. you know, stuff about the movies. That Tom Cruise breaking his ankle clip right. was a funny back and forth for the Mission Impossible Fallout campaign. So sure, I mean, who doesn't like Graham Norton? I don't know of anybody, so it's a fine choice for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It's pretty inoffensive. I don't really know much about him other than with the clips I see on YouTube, and he mm-hmm. seems funny, so yeah, what the hell? Any, anytime you have a talk show, I feel like... You could do fine as a host at one of these award shows. You have the platform. You know what it's like to give a monologue every day. It's no different, except this time you got to do it in front of Tom Hanks and Leo. Yeah, you know? I mean, he probably is the MC of how many uh, right. award show banquets anyway. Right, so it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm all for that. Good job. And, you know, the BAFTAs are very fitting that you have an overly British man being the overly British host of an overly British award show. Yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> I want to see Britishness when I watch the BAFTAs. I'm all about it. Mike, we had our first reactions all over film Twitter. 19. 19- which had long been uh, projected by a lot of pundits and critics and professionals as a major Oscars contender, and it certainly seems to have lived up to the hype. A lot of takes going around. Scott Feinberg, one of our favorites, says it's as great as any war movie since Saving Private Ryan. He puts it on the same level as Dunkirk and says it's the best World War I movie since All Quiet on the Western Front all the way back from 1930. Anybody else I would call bullshit, but... (laughs) Okay. We haven't seen it yet. We don't know. Just because you have a grudge against the genre, maybe. Well, I don't have a grudge. I, I, 
you know, they have to impress me. I do have a grudge against mm-hmm. regular war movies in this day and age, but I, I'm like you, have seen a wide array of takes calling this the greatest war film since Saving Private Ryan. It seems to be universally beloved. War films do well, and people like them when they're done well, and usually they'll get a Best Picture nominee when they are done well. Mm-hmm. But I just have to recite that fact that I crave us in the mid-year Oscars look forward War movies just do not have a great track record at breaking over the hump and passing the finish line for Best yeah. Picture. For whatever reason, I mean, Saving Private Ryan couldn't do it, for Christ's sake. You could chalk that up to Harvey Weinstein's campaign, you could chalk it up to whatever. But for a litany of reasons, I don't know if it's political, I don't know if it's subconscious with the Academy members, who knows what it is. But the war films just don't have a great track record my of winning guess, Best Picture. My guess is all the baby boomers got sick of them coming be. out of World could War be. II because that was like... A genre that was on the level of superhero movies right. now. I mean, right. you, you just had, you know, just a total saturation of war pictures coming out. And now you have this widening and diversified academy who may lean ultra, there, yeah. ultra political. I'm going to say to even be like, well, how can I nominate a war movie for best picture? Oh, really? You know, I mean, that's I, who knows. I'm grasping at straws, but you went the opposite way. You I want I Tarantino's picture to win. <laughs> Roger Deakins is also getting a ton of acclaim for his cinematography. That's not a surprise, really, yeah. because the cinematography is a star of this movie because it's supposed to look like it's one shot. I have a feeling we could probably present this Oscar right now. I mean, having not seen the wow. movie, and look, it just—I mean, Roger Deakins in a movie, a war movie, okay. Presented as one continuous shot, like you said, it's yeah, that is the uniqueness of it. Everybody has said, mm-hmm. "Go see this on the biggest screen possible." Oh my God, Roger Deakins is. A, this makes a lot of sense. I'll be honest with you, Mike. My favorite cinematography right now is Jojo Rabbit. The best, in my opinion, might be Joker. And then I am in awe of the camera movement and something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right. or Parasite. And you can go on and on. And, and list like a field of 10 deep, including yep. the Irishman, et cetera, et cetera, to the two popes, where this might be one of the most loaded cinematography categories in a while. To go off what you're saying there Ways. and, fur- I mean, and further make around. the point, Jojo Rabbit, which we just talked about winning some cinematography awards, it's not anywhere on any Gold Derby top right. fives. I think I'm smitten with it yeah. because it's so clean. And well, fun. you're not the only one. I mean, it's winning awards for right. cinematography. And he's doing the Thor Ragnarok thing. Where he's like got this picturesque painting and then he's doing it slow motion yeah. with all the pixels like he did in the Marvel movie. Like he took that trick and applied it to this lower budget film. Right. And I'm, I'm just, I can't post those stills in enough collages. <laughs> I can't do it. I love it so much. As far as what Roger Deakins may be up against, at least as far as Gold Derby top fives go with the cinematography category right now, it's a lot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a lot of Joker, a lot of Irishman. Right. Roger Deakins just makes a whole lot of sense. Roger Deakins' war movie, yeah, that smells like an Oscar. With a gimmick. I mean, it, right, exactly, it is a gimmick, exactly, but it, exactly. it's also like a gimmick A gimmick that, doesn't have to be a pejorative term. Right, right. yeah. I mean, that's that's the hook. That's what it is, right. It's incredible yeah. if they pull it off. And it sounds like from this first swath of uh, reactions, 1917, yep. they're pulling it off. Mike, the Producers Guild of America has de- best documentary nominations. Now, Apollo 11 lives, so I'm still happy with this. I'm okay with it. Apollo 11, America. American Factory, Honeyland, One yeah. Child Nation. We've heard all those before. Mike, the cave is a new one. A Thai boys soccer team is trapped in a cave while rescue workers scramble to save them. I did not realize that was going to be the premise for it. Yeah, and that's a recent story. That's only the last couple of years. That was all over the news. I think I tried to cover this a while back, and we, I couldn't find a premise 
Or I forgot the premise. It's, <laughs> well, it's a horrifying things. story. The next movie that was a surprise is Advocate, a look at the life and work of Jewish and Israeli lawyer Lee Samel, who has represented political prisoners for nearly 50 years. Good Lord. going wide at the end of January. we got a load in a documentary field this year, right? And for Sama, yeah. uh, in Honeyland, two uh, f- uh, international features getting in here. Yeah, the main ones that we thought would be in here are in here: One Child Nation, American Factory, Apollo Eleven. Yeah, well, and the Honey- other three, I'm or the other four, really, I'm surprised. Honeyland has been pretty much consistent lately. Yeah, it wasn't there at the beginning of the year, certainly, but it's been popping up everywhere. You've kind of seen Apollo Eleven. You've been seeing Honeyland, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that as the fourth nom here. It's going to leave one spot. Maybe it's for Sama, which has popped up a bunch. Maybe I could absolutely see something like the cave getting legs. So. But Apollo 11 better Something be there. that we don't expect always gets legs. <laughs> Apollo 11 better be there. <laughs> but th- you have late breakers all the time yeah. with the best documentary uh, feature category at the Oscars. Mike, the Clio Entertainment Award winners were announced. This is for best entertainment marketing campaign. Remember Miss Clio, those late night commercials where she was like, call me now, child, and she would read your tarot readings? And- mm-hmm. Is she involved in this? I don't think so, uh, but I don't know definitively. Well, then I am less interested. <laughs> Best theatrical integrated campaign went to us. Theatrical original teaser went to Joker. A Star is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody, Ant-Man and the Wasp also took home a winners. There's a, a million nominees that I couldn't you know summarize for all yeah. the folks here, but those are the standouts. The best campaign, Oscar campaign, mm-hmm. I have seen this year by far, and maybe one of the best ever, has been Rocket Man. Yeah. Without question. I, I think every movie that's ever got Oscar aspirations should take a look at what they're doing with that with that campaign, with Elton John and his books and his concerts and his he- screenings and his hearings. Just copy that. It's been phenomenal. I'm not a fan of the movie. So we're expecting Rocketman to do really well at the Globes. And then uh, yeah. now we're talking about Rocketman again in all the major discussions. Is that... I, I, I could see that breaking Yeah, out absolutely. Man. I mean, I, I think... You know, I, I still say there's two open slots for lead actor. I think it's still Leo, Driver, and Phoenix, but Egerton is not going to go away, much to my chagrin anyway. I wasn't crazy about the performance, but yeah, that surprised. campaign's been wonderful. I was surprised to see him there. Mike, we just have one Oscar trailer today. It's for Honey Boy, their second trailer ahead of uh, their wide release. Am I crazy, or is this very similar to the first trailer? It's very similar. I think you got the prestige yeah. of all the critical superlatives in right. here. You got a lot of emotional Andy spirit noms yeah, were there, yep. A lot of emotional scenes and it's kind of continuations of the scenes from the first trailer in a way as well, which I was interested in. I'm really interested in seeing this movie ASAP. We haven't gotten around to it yet. I think you got more Lucas Hedges in this trailer. Yes, I and I love the fact that he gets Shia LaBeouf's accent exactly. Right. <laughs> That's really it really makes me happy. Shia, I didn't mention it, but he also landed a nomination as a supporting actor for this role in mm-hmm. the uh, the Hollywood Film Critics Association or Film Critics Awards. I think I already we have screwed we up scroll sometimes. down the page. It's too far. Mm-hmm. We can't go back mm-hmm. now, like Harold and Kumar. Um, so it's <laughs> nice to know that they, he's getting recognized. Noah Jupe, obviously, as well. We did make mention of him. So yeah. this is going to be. Uh, a contender, maybe it'll end up on the fringes. Who knows? But this is worth seeing, and we have to cover it. Yeah, Noah is bawling. Yeah, in a few scenes, so it does look like it, they have some Oscar real scenes here. Uh, in Honey Boy, we can't wait. Very to excited it. for it. Absolutely. 
So we have a make the case segment where I just want to gloss over one and give you folks a confirmation. Okay, and this is one we've kind of hinted at and teased a while, but Mike finally did take the dive and see this. So he's going to make the case. This is where we talk about fringe or could be Oscar contenders, and we say definitively whether or not they should or should not be considered on Oscar Sunday. And Mike, you are making the case against Where'd You Go, Bernadette? That's not shocking, I don't this think. This will be quick. Yeah. Uh, Kate Blanchett, she's always incredible, but. I thought like she had some real scenes mm-hmm. during the trailers of this movie. It, there's not much more than that. The movie is both very blah and meh. No. <laughs> and both at once, huh? Both. And these are the uh, two most frequent movie reviews I get from my brother John when he texts <laughs> me. So this is clearly both of those things. Well, so to be fair, those are the words he says most often as well. Like I don't dislike the movie. I don't like the movie. I don't. I'm just blah. Well, and let's I'm just men. So both of those things. If you had to pick one, would it have been Blanchett's performance from this? If one nominee. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't stack up to the Aquafinas and the Scarlett Johanssons like and my twentieth yeah. actress this year, but she's not getting any more. All right. I did see Knives Out late late last night. Oh, you and saw it already? I saw it late last night. Oh, good. We're going to review it uh, later next week with a guest. Yes, very and special I just guest. wanted to preview that. I'm going to say nothing <laughs> to you or anybody about it. I just want you to go in fresh. I, I don't want to... I don't want to say anything. Did you leave the theater with a, a hackneyed British detective accent? No, I, I, I left the theater. Foul play. But that's not hackneyed. That's a, it's a foghorn Lego. Yeah, I don't even think it's British, to be honest. It's a southern accent, which is great. I, yeah, I want. it's very fun to do. And I will do it more often. Uh, I'm assuming, you don't have to give anything away, but I'm assuming you were a fan. I am a fan, but it's, it, it didn't give me what I expected. Oh, okay. Then, All right. So I That's don't a good know, tease. I guess the tease here is, is that I'm worried that my expectations being dashed a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you have the same expectations as me, and I don't know, I don't mm-hmm. want to assume, I worry that you'll be mad at it. But I don't know. At the oh, same I, time, I I'm so excited for I it. I don't think I'm over the moon about it. Um, I liked it a lot, but there, I mean, there it is. I, you get you, you got it out of me. I didn't want to even say anything. I, I, well, I'm cur- I'm certainly more curious now because I have not heard a word one about anybody even being slightly let down by this. So this is you're you're doing a hell of a tease here. This is going to have to stay tuned for our knives out review next week. It's a different movie than what I thought it would be. And awesome. I'm still happy to get the movie I got. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to, certainly next week. Uh, the main event here for this ORC, we said that, uh, and we've done this with Judy, we've done this with uh, Harriet, yeah. sometimes during ORC, just because there are so many movies to cover here in the last month or two before the Oscars uh, are upon us, we're going to have to kind of stuff some contenders into shorter reviews here in ORC episodes, and that's what we're doing today with Frozen 2. So we're going to give our review of Frozen 2 uh, to kind of wrap up this episode. Look, we're going to try to stay as spoiler-free as possible. We right probably will dance on some spoilers and we'll try not to give the farm away but it may happen by accident the only one i'm going to mention is actually in the song list you okay. know so if you look at the soundtrack <laughs> list the name of the uh, theme of the movie is in there so it's like a one spoiler review for me so i'm going to make the case for you're going to make the case against yeah. in a way even though we both think it's going to be nominated in best animated feature it would be hilarious if this doesn't make the best animated feature film, but yes, it will be nominated. So, the title of that song is Do the Next Right Thing, and Spike Lee should make this the sequel. 
What that, would be the third brass knuckle, though, on Radio Rahim? You'd have to have another one, right? It'd be like love, love hate, and act, <laughs> and whatever. <laughs> Perhaps. I'd be in for it, though. If you gave me a sequel of Do the Right Thing, Do the Next Right Thing, I would be in for it no matter what. Naturally. So this simple little maxim really helped me, and I was surprised that it did as much. And I, I just want to applaud, you know, Disney and their writers, Chris Buck, Jennifer Lee, and Marky Smith. I just want to applaud Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez, the songwriters, because I do think, like, this is a, a theme that I could applaud for kids, and it, like I said, it helped me. I read a lot of stuff about Frozen 2 mm-hmm. after I saw it. And I wasn't aware of the fact that, like, Frozen 1 is looked at as an anthem for people struggling with depression. And people have applauded Frozen 1 and now Frozen 2 as a movie that really teaches kids about dealing with these things and teaches, and helps adults about dealing with anxiety and depression. Good. And Elsa's character is someone who, you know, the metaphors are very obviously geared that way. Mm-hmm. And Kristen Bell has come out and talked about her battles with depression and how the Elsa character has really helped her overcome what she needs to do. Love hearing that. And, and, and how to talk about it. So, you know, I've, I'll, I'll say it, I've struggled myself. And I think this movie was speaking to me in that way. And, I, you know, I'm, we, we look at overwhelming problems all the time. And I guess in a, to, in a tangible way of talking about this, do the next right thing can help you just get out of bed and do the next right small decision. It can help you compartmentalize all those overwhelming feelings and the way they expressed it in the film, you know, it's it's in this convoluted plot, which is probably your biggest negative about the about the movie yeah. we get to. Yep. And I can see that. I've listened to Stuckman, I've listened to a couple critics actually go at the plot of the movie where I was surprised. Because I, I originally saw all the reviews, it's like how does Mike dislike this? How is he giving me so much shit about the plot of Frozen Two? Like, of course, it's like being mad at a milkshake. Well, and you're I've right there. But yeah, I have come around. So, preempting your uh, <laughs> rage coming up here, but I, I do think this entire movie—it's it, about maturing, and it's—it's it's a good message to kids at the end of the day. The obvious positives to make the case and to finish yep. my argument here. Some of the music is great. Some of the music is fine. I thought the Olaf character, I thought the comedy really worked on me. And it is absolutely beautiful to look at. And did, it's just, it's cuteness overload, which is what we thought we are going to get. Did you laugh more at this or in the theater for Dolomite? I need to know. Well, I laughed more times for this. I laughed harder okay. for Dolomite. Okay, all right. All right. Um, look, making the case against... A pick a Disney. I'm sorry, Disney movie in the best animated feature category. You're right. It is like arguing against the milkshake. I mean, it's like it's too sweet. Right. It's too what the chocolate. hell am I talking about I here? It's hard. It's hard to do. Right? I'm going to just start off by saying <laughs> I, I I loathed some aspects of the plot. Right. I gave this movie a C. I I I picked it up a point or two. I, I'm 75 hard C. I, this is not for me. I understand mm-hmm. what this movie can mean not to kids and adults and. I went to the theater to see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and it was Frozen's opening day, and there were just little girls 
everywhere, mm. and not a single one was not wearing a blue Elsa dress. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean they were littered. So I, 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 I absolutely get it, and I love the, I love the attachment to this. I'm not gonna sit here and spit venom about Frozen Two <laughs> and how it didn't work for me as a curmudgeonly 32, almost 33 year old, you know, guy sitting in a basement next to a microphone. Right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tear it apart. I will say the plot, I think, was. It has some bad, bad missteps and some things that yeah. just truly didn't work for me to the point where I thought they kind of wrote themselves into corners some ways. And at certain points when they found themselves in those corners, they were like, well, this is just going to happen because. And they didn't really substantiate many things going forward. Now, all that said, and yes, a C isn't a great grade and, and all that... It, I get the, the the meaning and the message behind this. And if this could help anybody in any way, kid, adult, teenager, whatever, I'm all for that. And I think we need more of that. And our review of Mr. Rogers and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, you can hear me espouse about that more and more. I mean, anything to do that can help anyone's mental health in any capacity. I, I'm on record, with obviously, yeah. in that episode. I think everybody should go see a therapist, sincerely. I think mental health is one of the most important things. So yeah. if this helps anybody in any aspect, I'm for it. As a movie, sitting there, I was the only person in my theater when I saw this, by the way. I saw it like midday on a Monday. Mm -hmm. And the guy, I bought the ticket, and the guy who owns the theater was like, you're going to be the only person in there. I'm like, yeah, this is why I didn't come yesterday because it'd been me and all these little Elsa girls. So, <laughs> so I have issues with the movie. Mm -hmm. All of that said, if this goes on to win best animated feature, I'll still just nod my head and be like, yeah, I get it. You'll get it, but I think we'll both be upset. I, I just rewatched Toy Story four, and it, it's still a better movie in my opinion. I, my grades by a lot. I said I tweeted this out when I saw. Yeah. I th I have Toy Story four fifteen points higher. I have Toy Story four at a yeah. ninety, an A minus, and this is a seventy five for me. I think that I enjoy this genre more, and you got much more of a genre film than you probably expected going into. I this. think that's a very fair this statement. Is fairy tale epic fantasy, and they're using some hardcore epic fantasy tropes like the magical yep. forest and the you know this other these other lands and these other civilizations, these other peoples, and then the connection with this mat these magical rules. I'm used to that. The same way, kind of, you're more used to. Like Overlord right. being like this zombie war movie, ridiculous the horror, and yeah. that well, and you 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 can say, all right, fine, I'm used to those connections to where I'll give that a solid B, right. and I was like a steaming C. <laughs> you know, I was very upset at that movie because it didn't go where I wanted it to go, and I got mad at the more of the tropes. I will say too, I've become a much more harder and, and harsher grader ever since our parasite conversation, because I, I need to like I, I needed to re recalibrate yeah. the dynamic through which I put numbers on things because I can't be giving Overlord B minuses if I'm giving Parasite a C plus, but I'm going to stand by the C plus. So. <laughs> Uh, and a different life, Mike One probably would have yeah. given this like a B minus B. I, I think you could still, you know, just have a, a hatred in your grading. You could be a biased grader as a yeah. teacher, right? I I, and, I was. If the kid's a little <laughs> pissant jerk, and you know it's an essay test, and you want to, you know, neg him and say shape up, little kid, and you could give, you know, pissant jerk a, a C plus, and the the other kid who's a dumber B minus, you just. It's for effort. I don't think you could do that, but yeah, whatever. Let's I'm do it. I'm not a teacher, nor should I be. Mike, I wanted to do a quick little unsnubbable yeah. versus snubbable on the, the main song in this movie, Into the Unknown. Yes. So I'll, I'll start with saying the unsnubbable. This song is 
amazing because Adina Menzel, Adele Tazim, whatever her name is this week, is absolutely incredible. Her voice is, is just unnaturally and not of this world. I cannot stop listening to fucking Travolta's presentation <laughs> of Adele Tazim, and it's so funny because he looks down. He's so respectful. Adele Tazim. He's so respectful. I think that was it's him hilarious. admitting defeat halfway through. Like, ah, fuck, Adele. But yeah, Into the Unknown, it's, it's very catchy. I mean, I don't think it has the legs of Let It Go. And I think if you're going to compare this head-to-head with Let It Go, right. it's going to fall short because, again... To me, Let It Go, My Heart Will Go On, and Shallow, those are like thrice-in-a-generation movie films. They're like perfect movie films. This is not that, but it's certainly catchy enough. There's certainly enough depth to what she's singing about. And the message, I think, kind of works, even though I'm of the opinion the origin for where this this song plays in the movie is just absurd. It's preposterous, (laughs) but the preposterous nature of it, and this is what we screamed at each other the other night over... (laughs) Is kind of a given in these movies, and if you sure. disagree with the given, yeah, then I get it. And I, agree. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, but it is a given in the film. Like uh, horror movies, you have ghosts, right? And right, in this right. movie, you have magical snowflakes <laughs> who sing to you from afar. I think that's the given of the film. I'm sorry, but so in that way, it works into the plot, and you get that song coming back again and again in the yes, plot. Yes, you do. Not Coco, remember me, level, but it is there. No, and you know, you. I, I kind of almost feel bad. Like, how do you go to the next song from Let It Go? Because yeah. everybody's going to be expecting that, right? I mean, not to bring it back to Tarantino, but like Pulp Fiction, everybody's expecting Pulp Fiction 2 and he goes Jackie Brown and everybody shits on Jackie Brown because it's not Pulp Fiction 2. There was a song in this where I thought the chorus was going to be Hold On Tight, which was the parody I made months ago <laughs> that I still cling to as making you laugh then, making you laugh now. Right. And I re- was really proud of that joke. I don't make good jokes that often here. Oh, so yes, you do. It was a dad joke that I was really proud of. And I thought like a big Anna song was just, she was just going to start going, hold on tight, hold on tight. If this was one big troll job movie, it, I would give it an A-. minus. It was getting there. And I, they, they went another direction. Yes. Very respectfully, fine. But uh, what's the case against Into the Unknown? So... It's not let it go. That's no, number it is one. not. That's and true. I do think double standards can influence people. Yeah, unfortunately so. We've seen that countless times amongst the Academy, certainly. Right. Yeah. I think they may hold this movie to a higher standard. And if you're slightly disappointed by the music in this movie as not surpassing the music from the last movie, then I could totally understand that double standard factoring in here. Mm-hmm. Because Cats... Is there going to be an attachment to that cat song? <laughs> and will it get the nod ahead of this one? The Taylor, I would be so the Taylor Swift song, I think, leaked. She did it with Andrew Lloyd no. Webber. I haven't listened to it yet. People were not crazy about it that I heard, but okay. But here's my biggest beef. Yeah. And here's why it's more snubbable than ever. Okay. And I never thought a Frozen 2 featured song would be yeah. snubbable. But we have this song playing very poorly as a soundbite, as, as a quick clip to critics hmm. and pundits and the big picture podcast are just killing it. They're like, I don't even want to hear that because it doesn't make sense. What it does is it builds on itself. It builds from the echo from the castle, right. ice castle from afar. Right. And you have the beautiful voice and then it gets louder and then it builds in the chorus to Adina Menzel's, you know, great, you know, voice talent. Right. And it's a showcase of that. But if you just listen to the voice talent without the build, it is a bit jarring. And I do think critics have crushed it thus far, and I'm shocked that they're doing that. So you've seen a lot of people disliking it? 
I've seen a lot really? of people. I haven't seen much reaction. Saying so. that the Panic at the Disco version is unlistenable. Nobody wants to see Panic at the Disco there <laughs> at the Oscars. Now, you, are you a Panic at the Disco fan? Are they in your sweet spot for the mid 2000s They are very, very hit or miss with me. Okay, they're very hit or miss because they're a little late two thousand. Yeah, the genre yeah. that you love. Right, they 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 came at the tail end there. I chimed in with having you people. I can't listen to that song anymore. I get it, all right? You're at a wedding. It's uh-huh. fine. Uh-huh. Everything's okay. Just stop. <laughs> but so, they have some other songs that I really do like. But you're not, you know, discounting this movie because Panic! at the Disco is <laughs> associated. No, no. And I would hope if this, you know, if this comes up on Oscars time, it would not be Panic! at the Disco. It would be Adina Menzel singing it. <laughs> John Travolta better introduce her and get it right. That would be hilarious. Uh, I don't think we're dealing with an all-timer here. I think that's safe to say, right? And and if you are going to... The biggest argument, I think, is the double standard one you made. If you are going to hold it up to let it go, it's probably not going to win. Mm-hmm. I don't think Best Original Song is as loaded as it has been in recent years. So this could, by all rights, just sneak through and get an Oscar. It's better than... Yes. That's the only other song I can think of right now. But and I like so if you're comparing it to that, the What else is out there? What else is out there for original song? Well, you got the Harriet song. You got the Aladdin song that we have seen thus far. You got the Cat song coming up. There's more that I'm forgetting, but off the top of my head, uh, of those, I think this is the best one. You got the Beyonce song. Beyonce's definitely going to be there, even though I wasn't crazy about it. But she'll definitely be, and she'll probably win. People want to vote for Beyonce. People want to vote for Kobe Bryant. People want to vote for Beyonce. I want to vote for Beyonce too. Right? Just naturally, want to vote for her. She's pretty great. There you go. Well, so congratulations to Beyonce. Guys, uh, we want to know, obviously, not only about just the Into the Unknown song, whether it is snubbable or unsnubbable, but we truly want to know your thoughts about Frozen 2. This was a big conversation Mike and I had leading up to this episode because we were trying to figure out ways to format it within to this uh, shortened time frame here. So we want to know uh, what you thought thought about Frozen 2. Did it work for you? Did it not? Did the plot work for you? Did it not? The visuals, there's one scene, there's a chase scene in this where uh, a character is running away from a giant and it's from the perspective of looking at them as the giant is chasing her from behind. Stunning, Stunning right? visual. Yeah. Stunning visual. So some of the visuals absolutely do work. Uh, maybe some of the plot doesn't, but either way, we want to hear from you about what does or does not work with Frozen 2. And we want to hear from you about anything else we cover here in the MMO Empire. Uh, you can reach out to us and leave us those comments, questions, concerns at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar uh, on Twitter. Yeah, that's where yep. we are. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com <laughs> and on Reddit. We're available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, happen to use iPhones or happen to own an iPhone. Uh, if you can go on the podcast app, that little purple square with the uh, unknown white thing, that actually works really that, well. That did. Tapping <laughs> on that app, uh, your podcast app there, type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search, tap on our logo, scroll down once. If you can leave us a five star review, that would really, truly help us out a lot. Uh, Personally, I want to thank you guys for bearing with us because I I posted it all over our social yeah. medias. But we had a, a, a emergency in the family, uh, you know, the untimely death. It, never fun, but yeah. wanted to thank you guys for, for dealing with us for uh, thank you dealing with our little delay here. Uh, we will be having this up. We will have the Haley interview up still. Mike, what else is coming from MMO and some words of wisdom to end on? We think we hope MMOW and the Irishman are our next two recordings, mm-hmm. even though it'll be episodes three and four on the schedule. Yep. You know, go. Go back and listen to Ford v. Ferrari with Colby Mack. Go back and listen to A Beautiful Day of the Neighborhood with Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, both of those. We had a lot of fun uh, having guest reviewers on the show. I think we're going to continue that. We got another one booked. Well, we got 
basically every week we got a guest reviewer booked. To yeah, book yeah. A major film. Talking to a lot of people. We're going solo for The Irishman, though, and that's probably you know good because it's such a monster of a movie. Could you imagine if we did a Scorsese recap, re, re, like our what? Uh, words series. aren't aren't a thing I'm doing <laughs> right now. Yeah, a rewatch series. How long? The Irishman review. Our Irishman review. Mm. We just have a whole week of it. We, sh- four- we should try to keep ourselves like 15 minutes just to see how fast we could talk. <laughs> I peed here, here, and here. I missed... <laughs> that app, that... Uh, what is that? The, there's an app out there that, that... Like, go pee or something. That tells you when to pee? When to pee during movies and what you missed. Oh, really? Yeah. During movies? I just listened to it on the Nomcast with Andrew there. They have an in, uh, interview... With a cast member from The Irishman, and of yeah. course he has a, a, a review of that. So if you're waiting for ours, you know, go listen to uh, Andrew, and I've I've been on his show a couple times yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm doing a great job. They talked about GoP or whatever the PP app was. FYI, IP. I'm shot right now too. Just IP. shot IP going through the holidays here. I think we've both been on edge. So yeah, you know, we've had a couple movies that tried to win our hearts over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how well they did in the long run. We got a couple more now that I think are going to be more your speed, but I'm, I'm curious to, to. And you've seen The Irishman. I've seen The Irishman. Yeah. I've seen Knives Out. I do not know how you're going to take them. I'm a little worried. I thought for sure you were going to love Parasite, and then you hated Parasite. I'd like the first hour and a half. I thought for sure you're going to love Frozen 2, and you hated I Frozen 2. did not like Frozen 2. <laughs> <laughs> so, who knows, folks? Mike is the wild card in this equation, and you got to tune in to hear it. I'm trying what's, to hype you up. As what's he going to say next? Probably a lot of F-bombs. But until then, guys, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We don't even have to make it year-round because we're in the throes of award season right now, guys. So, when reality sucks, you can come and watch all these movies with us. Uh, thank you once again for your understanding. We will see you very soon. See ya.